0: Hello and welcome to another episode of When All is Read and Done. My name is Amy.
1: And I'm Josh. And we're a podcast where we make sense of the world one book at a time. So Amy, how has your week been and uh, what have you been reading or doing?
0: It's been good. So I lost a losing domestic battle at home because uh, my husband, he he bought a a, a massive television which I I opposed for for two years now. But yeah, I finally gave in because I kind of visualized myself living in a bohemian house with uh, only books. But obviously I lost that battle.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Have you all started watching anything yet?
0: uh, We we watched uh, uh, The Dark Knight uh, yesterday. And uh-huh. it wasn't as good as I remembered it to be. Maybe I have a oh. you know a different different lens now. Everything seems a little bit misogynistic. Like this is clearly <laughs> made for, for men who quote fight club, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what about you? What have you read and done this week?
1: Well, you know, my week has been great. Um, mm-hmm. one of the things that I'm really grateful for is that. We have had some really wonderful support and feedback for episode one. Wow, lovely, lovely! And what are (laughs) some of those feedback? Well, everybody loves you, Amy. So (laughs) (laughs) thank you. Bit shy now. Yeah, (laughs) they should. You're amazing. But you know, some have told me Uh that I sound like sadness from inside out. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how I feel about that, you know?
0: (laughs) Now that you've mentioned it, I don't think I can unhear that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I've actually got a line reading for you if you want. (laughs) Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm too sad to walk. Just give me a few hours.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And now no one can unhear
1: sadness. (laughs) Yeah, so basically I've been spending my week trying to come to terms with being sadness.
0: (laughs) But Sadness is a lot of people's favorite character in the film. So don't feel too bad about that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I love Sadness. So, you know, I'm probably just going to embrace it moving forward. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: So uh, should you tell everyone what our episode is about this
1: week? Well, this week, we are going to be talking about diversifying our bookshelf. Mm -hmm. So in our previous episode, we had talked a little bit about you know, reading more diverse characters, and we thought maybe for this episode it would be a good continuation to look into how is it that we can actually expand the the type of authors that we are picking up. Mm-hmm. So, for you, Amy, how did you start reading more diversely? As in, you know, looking to more diverse authors.
0: Oh man, I really hate to say this, but I have to credit uh, Donald Trump for this. <laughs> Don't quote me on that. But I don't know if this is a direct consequence of um, just having to read this ridiculously sexist and uh, prejudiced things that come out of Twitter or the news at a time. Uh, mm-hmm. But in 2016, I started to take a good hard look at the authors that I personally read. So imagine for like two decades or so, my reading diet has been mostly white, mostly straight and mostly male. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, you know, going to a buffet and then only eating bread. I mean, I love yeah. bread, but you know, you're not going to have that. <laughs> All the time, three meals a day.
1: Well, isn't that what you all do in the UK?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Potatoes. We do that for potatoes. Oh, no. So yeah, you know I I love potatoes, you know, they're versatile, they come in many forms, but you're not gonna obviously not gonna have potatoes for every meal. So mm-hmm. this was all like pre goodreads, pre bookstagram, so only for myself. Um initially I was just trying to make sure that I read as many female authors as I did male ones, and this sort of evolved into moving away from um euro or or US centric narratives and authors. So obviously in some genres this is more accessible than others. Yeah. Yeah, and
1: what about yourself? No, it's the same thing. I think it also means for me moving away from a Western cisgender perspective to one that is more Mm -hmm. inclusive. I guess when I talk about diversifying my bookshelf, what it means really is to see the reality of the world that I live in better represented on my bookshelf and diversity I think one of the really important things that has dawned on me is that diversity really needs to start closer to home, right? Mm-hmm. And I really want to start consciously picking up authors from the Southeast Asian region mm-hmm. because being Malaysian, right, our lives are multifaceted, right? So in, in Malaysia, for example, it's, it's just filled with people from different cultures, genders, uh, sexual identities, socioeconomic backgrounds and beliefs. And mm. I am starting to realize that, you know, my bookshelf should reflect that as well.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with what you've said, Josh. So I would say that, you know, um, diversifying your bookshelf is is always an ongoing journey and we can um, mm-hmm. always be better so in the last five years or so I started to purposefully seek out diverse authors so this isn't to say that writing outside your experience is wrong because after all like isn't that what creative writing is about like yeah I don't have to live in space or be an alien to write a fantasy novel <laughs> you know for, for example yeah. but there is a history of majority group authors writing outside of their experience to tell mm-hmm diverse stories and some of these books are wonderful and we've all read them so like for example for myself the first book that I've read with an intersex protagonist was Middlesex by Jeffrey Eugenides and this was back in 2002 he actually won um, a Pulitzer Prize for this story And until this day, like this book is still often referenced by medical professionals and the writing is absolutely beautiful. But Mm -hmm. you know, from my standpoint, something has got to be said about a world where a heterosexual and cisgender male can write um, about the intersex experience and Mm -hmm. and win a Pulitzer Prize for it. While most intersex transgender people they are forced to conform to heteronormativity and, and, and worse, you know, they're even persecuted in, in a lot of cultures. So for me, I started to be more aware of own voices in publishing and I tried to make a conscious effort to read stories authored by own voices writers.
1: Mm. And I think maybe for our listeners, Amy, who don't know what own voices means, could you maybe like define it for them?
0: Yeah, sure. So um, own voices is a term coined by uh, author. Her name is uh, Corinne Duvis. So back in 2015 on Twitter, she used the hashtag own voices to highlight children literature about diverse characters um, actually written by authors from that same diverse group.
1: Yeah. And, you know, one of our recent book club meetings, I think, really um, brought home for me the Mm -hmm. importance of reading own voice authors. So if you remember, we had one uh, book club where the theme was a holiday read or travel read, right? Mm -hmm. And I decided that I wanted to pick up a book about Myanmar because that is a country that is very near to my heart due to the work that I'm doing with Myanmar refugees. And I wanted to learn more about their country and the history. And the book that I chose was A Savage Dreamland by David Emer. It has a 4.0 rating on Goodreads, right? And, you know, I've, I've read it. His writing is clear, it's informative, and it's mostly empathetic. But there were bits that made me feel a little bit uneasy, right? Like when he described the smell of Burmese cooking as powerful and unwelcome, Mm-hmm. and i think one of the things that dawned on me as i was reading that is that i'm trying to learn more about this country myanmar from the perspective of an outsider and the more i read the more i asked myself why didn't i start with a book written by a Burmese author
0: yeah
1: you know tan minu who is a celebrated burmese historian and he has written numerous books about myanmar mm-hmm. and the latest one came out in 2019 right like, the hidden history of Burma so yep. why didn't i start seek that book out you know it's something that I have to wrestle with Um, diversifying your bookshelf is a journey and I think for myself what I do now is that beyond picking up a book and going oh this title is interesting and it has great reviews on good reads right if the author is white I'll ask myself can I find something that is similar written by an Asian author Mm -hmm. or a person of color or maybe a book written by a female or trans author Because I think at the end of the day, I don't want to confine myself to a single narrow point of view, right? Our world is so vast and our collective experiences are almost limitless, right? And I want to embrace that and I want my bookshelf to be able to reflect that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I I think like, even from what you're saying, it's not like you didn't enjoy um, a savage dreamland and it was valuable to you in many ways. Um, And obviously what we're doing here is we're not policing what authors should and shouldn't write. Like there shouldn't be things that are off limits to authors. But as a reader, I think we can be mindful of who we choose to support and amplify in that sense. So, you know, authors who write outside their own experience without research, and I do emphasize without research, you know, they run the risk of perpetuating harmful stereotypes, tropes, and inaccuracies, especially when they're writing about marginalized people. I mean, for you, it was mm-hmm. really un- unsavory to read about, you know, uh, a white author who's who lives in Burma, is writing about Burma, and then mm-hmm. saying things like, Oh, the food smells oily or the food smells smells yeah, bad. Like
1: like oh, yeah. yeah. And so it's not like David Emer didn't do his research, right? Mm-hmm. He he did it was there. It was just that it's the perspective that you're choosing and I think oftentimes that is when we talk about diversity, I think that's where we're coming from.
0: Yeah, exactly. And in some circumstances, authors writing outside of own voices can also be extremely harmful. So um, mm-hmm. and, and an extreme example that I can think of is uh, Jean Sasson. You know, she's the, the wildly popular author of the Princess series. So uh, the these books are set in Saudi Arabia and they do portray Muslims as misogynistic and fanatic. and Mm, if these serve as the only books that someone reads sets in Saudi Arabia you know they're they're likely to have a very skewed perception of this country and its people so authors whether they mean it or not like they sometimes can perpetuate like monolithic and harmful stereotypes and tropes Mm -hmm. yeah and the second point that I really take issue with and feel pretty strongly about is gatekeeping and publishing so Mm. for the longest time you know books by non-white authors are deemed unpublishable Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. unmarketable because they say, you know, people just don't buy books with a gay protagonist or a black protagonist or an Asian main character. And Mm -hmm. this is simply untrue, you know, because time and time again, when white or male authors, they publish stories about marginalized groups, they receive bigger advances. They receive accolades. They receive Mm -hmm. recognition, you know, while own voices, authors, they continue to fight just to, you know, get a foot through the door.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I was, When we were preparing for this episode, I actually went and looked up Lee and Lowe books who released their Diversity Baseline Survey 2.0. And and they found that in 2019, 76% of the people in the publishing industry in America Mm -hmm. were white, 81% of them were straight, and 89% of them were non-disabled. If you have this monolithic group that is dominating the publishing industry, then it speaks to like what you're saying, right? About mm-hmm. gatekeeping, where it's not that people aren't interested in reading about these authors, but if all the authors that I see on my bookshelf come from a certain group of people, then sometimes you know that might subconsciously affect you know, the, the, the authors that I choose to pick up. In our last episode, I spoke about Marjorie Liu and the work that she's doing with monstrous. And she had a fantastic quote where she was saying, it's great we have a female Thor, it's great that we have a black Captain America, Mm -hmm. but those are just optics. It's optics of change. And unless Mm -hmm. you have structural diversity, the structural change behind the scenes, more women, more people of color actually calling the shots and editing these books, those optics won't last. I love graphic novels. I love comic books, right? And I really do see the impact of this in the comic books that I pick up. And I think one of the things that happened when I was preparing for this episode was I wanted to do an audit of my bookshelf, right? Mm -hmm. I wanted to see, okay, I think I am reading pretty diverse characters, but is that translating into reading diverse authors? And what I found was that of the 19 graphic novels or series that I have on my physical shelf, which explicitly Mm. feature a female lead character, 15 of them are written by white men. Right. Oh. There are only three women writers, right? Even though and, the characters
0: uh, themselves are very diverse.
1: Yeah. Only one of them uh, is written by a woman of colour, Marjorie Liu. right? Mm-hmm. And so my support for comic books that feature female, minority or LGBTQ characters yep. doesn't translate into support for yep. uh, authors yeah. that I claim that I want to see. I want to see women authors, person of colour, right? LGBTQI, person with disabilities. I think this is a dissonance that I need to bridge. And I'm going to give you an example, right? Mm-hmm. There's this sci fi graphic novel that I love. And, you know, sci fi is, is a genre that has marginalized or sidelined women for the longest time. And it, it's called Paper Girls, right? And mm. it places female and LGBTQ characters right at its center. And it's written by Brian K. Vaughn, who's a cisgender yep. male. Mm -hmm. And now I love Brian K. Vaughan, right? But, you know, I'm becoming aware that, hey, why couldn't this book have been written or published by someone who actually is a woman or actually is queer? And what are the barriers that that stand in the way of, you know, uh, women authors, queer authors in getting, uh, publishing books that are from Mm -hmm. that genre? Um, And why is it that we are focusing on, you know, predominantly white male authors?
0: Yeah, so we know that these stories, they definitely do exist. But you know, it's it's probably very hard for them to get published in the first place. Or even when they're published, they probably don't get the same kind of marketing. Uh, they don't have mm-hmm. the same kind of support. And it doesn't reach uh, the readers in that way, unless we purposefully seek them out. So it's funny that you mentioned Marjorie Liu because uh, one of my favorite reads from last year was uh, R.F. Kuang or Rebecca Kuang's The Poppy War series. So Mm -hmm. uh, this is a political fantasy trilogy based on World War II, the military conflicts between the Republic of China and the Empire of Japan.
1: Yeah, I have a close friend who told me that the Poppy War series is actually better than the Lord of the Rings. Which, you know, I'm not
0: sure like if we're gonna me. get hate mail, hate mail from from this.
1: I haven't read Poppy Wars, and I and you know you love it, you know. So maybe it's something that I need to pick up as well.
0: Yeah, but you know, uh, it it resonated because. It's relatable to me. The characters Mm -hmm. are are Chinese and they have, you know, Chinese names. And this is set in World War II. But instead of, you know, having uh, 10 books about Dunkirk, this is something central around China and Japan. And that was Mm -hmm. a very important mark in history in in that region. So coming back to what you said about, you know, uh, white authors writing about diverse characters, uh, Rebecca Kwong herself, she made an incredible speech when she picked up um, a Hugo Award for um, Best New writer, So she made it a point to say in her speech that, you know, authors of color, they only get paid a fraction of what white authors get. And they're also pigeonholed along with other authors of color, whose work aren't even uh, similar. She also reveals some pretty jarring things about the publishing industry, you know, where authors of color are more likely to face microaggression, sexual harassment, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. how interest in them are more often uh, about their personal trauma rather than their craft.
1: Yeah. And I had uh, listened to Rebecca Kuang's speech Mm -hmm. as well when she picked up the award, right? Mm -hmm. And I found it very telling. And I'm going to go back again to Brian K. Vaughan. And again, I love Brian K. Vaughan. I love that he is writing uh, diverse characters. But in a 2015 interview that he did with Mother Jones on Black and queer heroes in comic books, right? And I just Mm -hmm. want to contrast it with what Rebecca Kuang said. You know, he says, I've never gotten anything but support and thanks from people for having diverse books. People just want good stories. And when I read that, I was like, hmm... (laughs) You know, Brian, it does sound like you are coming from a place of privilege, right? Mm -hmm. Because we know that for women authors or people of color, getting their foot in the door is so, so difficult. And even when they do, and even when they tell stories that are true to themselves, they get all kind of misogynistic, racist hate being thrown at them. Um, And, you know... I think it's important that we support them, right? I think it's important that if you want to see more of these authors being on our bookshelves, being recommended, that we need to put our money where our mouth is. If I want to see that, I need to go out and start purchasing books from these authors to show that I uh, support them, like vote with my wallet, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, uh, Rebecca Kwong, this is after, you know, her her success and the popularity of the book. She still closed the speech with, and I quote, if I had known all of that when I went into the industry, I don't know if I would have done it. And so it's time for authors like Brian mm-hmm. to pass the mic.
1: Yeah. And we just wonder how many authors like Rebecca Kwong that we have missed out on mm-hmm. because, you yep. know, they would have
0: this gatekeeping. just given
1: up. And because, yeah, or have given up along the way, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's a really sobering thought. Yep. So we are now going to move to our favorite segment of the episode, which is Red and Done Rex or Red Rex for short. And this is where <laughs> we make recommendations based on this episode for your next favorite read. And mm-hmm. hopefully, it's not one that's going to be permanently parked in your TBR list. Yeah, so I have two quick recommendations. If you, like me, love comic books and you would like to diversify the authors that you're picking up, there are two LGBTQ authors that I absolutely adore and I hope that you love as well. So Maya Kobabe wrote a beautiful memoir called Gender Queer. Mm-hmm. It's about Maya's story growing up, having been assigned female at birth and discovering he is queer, non-binary and asexual. Mm-hmm. It is vulnerable, it is moving, and an extremely readable introduction to non-binary gender identities for cisgender readers like myself. Yep. Also, another author that I absolutely adore, and I know that you too do, Amy, is Tilly Walden. I love so, Tilly Walden. <laughs> yeah. And her first sci-fi story is On a Sunbeam, which is a sweet, ethereal, coming-of-age tale, which... Which also has a romance intertwined in it about a small crew that travels outer space documenting and repairing old buildings. And it is a world that is wholly filled with female and non-binary characters. And I love it. Amy loves it. And it's available <laughs> yes. online for free. Yes, yeah. absolutely.
0: Do you want to tell everybody what the website is if they they they're interested?
1: Yeah, I think it's on a sunbeam.com. So, you know, you have absolutely no reason why you shouldn't be reading T.D. Walden's On a Sunbeam. So what about you, Amy? Like, do you have any red wrecks for our listeners?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I've already mentioned uh, the Poppy War series. So um, it's a trilogy, The Poppy War, The Dragon Republic, and The Burning God. And I highly, highly, highly recommend all of them. But um, another one that's uh, very close to my heart as well is uh, Hannah Alcoff's The Weight of Our Sky. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. so have you read that one so it, it is it does center around uh may 13 1969
1: um no i, I have not i haven't read that but you know it's has got a lot of buzz and i know that a lot of people here have read it and i think it's really interesting mm-hmm. because it centers around a topic that you know in general discourse people will say oh it's a sensitive issue you're not supposed yep. to talk about it and for her to really put it front and center in mm-hmm. a a, a novel, and it's a it's a debut novel as well, right?
0: Yes, and it's also um, a a young adult novel. So I think mm-hmm. not only you know putting putting a a topic that people tend to avoid, but also framing this in in a way that you know our young readers can can learn to talk about it, can open up mm-hmm. about you know difficult conversations, um, especially in our current political climate. I think that's a yeah. uh, very very impressive on on the part of Hana.
1: Yeah, I I really need to pick that up. I haven't read that yet.
0: Yeah, and you love graphic novels. So actually, this book is also available in a webtoon uh, format. So if oh, that's... wow. I oh, know. you didn't know that. Oh, I know. great. <laughs> yeah, you should check it out.
1: No, I definitely will, yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so for our readers who want to start exploring own voices a little more, like in these modern times, it's fairly easy to research uh, your authors. I also tend not to follow big book prizes, as typically those have like an exorbitantly expensive entry fee and only huge publishers can afford to put their nominations forward. So instead, Mm -hmm. what I do is I seek out my book recommendations from friends, from book clubs, from podcasts, Uh podcasts, and... uh (laughs) 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 <laughs> and uh and most recently from from bookstagram so i actually do have a bookstagrammer recommendation uh a, a very rad uh, bookstagrammer that i love is uh, christine from look pretty books and she was the oh. first person who introduced me to own voices and why this is important and you know mm-hmm. her bookstagram is super honest her photography is also really fun she's a malaysian bookstagrammer and she currently lives in the u.s and she she recommends really excellent and diverse migration stories which i love.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, one that I absolutely have to talk about if we are talking about books to grammars is Nat from A Natty Nook.
0: (laughs) (laughs) She's lovely. I
1: love her. Yeah, she is. And she's from Singapore Mm -hmm. and she frequently provides fantastic recommendations for singly, you know, queer reads, feminist reads, intersectional climates and Southeast Asian books. And these are all issues that I really need to learn more about, read more about. So If you are interested in these topics, do check out Inati Nook. She's fantastic.
0: And uh, I think that's a wonderful way to to conclude the episode. So I hope you like this episode. And if you did, please uh, like and subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, you can also contact us on our Instagram, Red and Done. If you'd like to speak to us, feel free to slide into our DMs. Please let us know if Josh actually does sound like sadness from inside out because I can't (laughs) unhear it
1: now. Oh, no.
0: (laughs) Especially when you do that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, this has been a fun episode, Amy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I hope to see you soon. Bye. Bye.